were listening to Subconscious Mind Mastery. Thomas Miller back with, oh boy, we're going to go back about 35 years. Hard to believe in my scope, from my perspective, that the mid-80s are that long ago. But boy, they are. And we're going to go back to that and even a little bit farther beyond and follow a little intuitive hunch that came up uh, not long ago of something that led to a pot of gold. And I just wanted to share it with you. This is going all the way back, my goodness, to childhood and beyond. Uh, and and the setting the stage for this was just a couple of uh, days ago. Majana and I were working on a project, took a little dinner break, and I just had this intuitive, not prompt, more like just presence. And, the, you know, a lot of times folks have asked, how do you tune in? You know, we talked to Fred about that. And he was like, how do you not? It's always on. Well, this was one of those, it was on, and that beam just all of a sudden lit up with this one person's name from, again, about 35 years ago in my past. And I did some looking online about what he's up to lately, and it just really, it just blew me away. And I thought it was certainly worth discussing, something you would be interested in. So here's the backstory. You know, as they say, since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, I there were two areas in my life that I just absolutely loved one was broadcasting the other was fishing i was born inherently with both you know the track the broadcasting has been on but i haven't talked on here really at all about the fishing this was something that showed up early early on my dad loved to fish his parents loved to fish and i got it boy i got it big and and as a kid i don't do it as much anymore uh, skiing snuck up on me while i was in colorado but um but the fishing part started when i was probably 5 or 6 years old and went all the way through so you know when most everybody in college was doing their thing i saved my money up and bought a boat so you know you put the two together the summer of my, what, freshman, sophomore, second year, sophomore year of college, I was uh, working at a country and western radio station over that summer and fishing all the time. Now, you talk about <laughs> the kid was in heaven, boy, back then. That was, that was just, uh, I was just drawn to it. So after I got out, I started a television production business, and there was this brand new show that had just started that was about fishing. It was called the Bassmasters. And back then it aired on a station that isn't around anymore. It was the Nashville network. If some of you remember that, and it was on their weekend lineup of, of outdoor shows show is still around very much still around and the Bassmaster tournament trail and all the professional fishing stuff that resulted from it are quite prominent today. I don't know where that particular show airs now. It's been a long time since I've been involved or or have watched it, but it's easily searchable. But boy, I'll tell you, I worked for two years trying to get on the production crew of that show. And finally, in about 1986-87 time frame, I became part of that production team that was just a wonderful, amazing group of people Bob Cobb was the senior producer and Bo Anello and I were the camera guys out on the on the shoots and and we we covered tournaments, fishing tournaments all over the country. And there was 
Chuck Roberts and his wife, Connie and Dick Schmitz, did the audio. And Amos Postoak was another camera guy who left us way too soon. Just a marvelous, wonderful group of people. And for about 15 years, I was in various capacities part of the team that produced that show. Now, if you're not familiar with professional bass fishing, it is a niche sport that has become huge. It really formally started from this organization that ran the tournaments back in the 1960s. And don't laugh because many multi-millionaires and billionaires have come from this sport of bass fishing. Have you ever seen a bass pro shop? Of course you have. If you've driven anywhere, you've seen a bass pro shop or Cabela's. Bass Pro bought Cabela's several years ago. Well, the guy that started that, Johnny Morris, probably about $5 billion net worth now. Amazing story. He used to uh, load up lures in Tulsa at a fishing store that I worked in in high school, and he took them to spring back home to Springfield, Missouri, and sold them in his dad's liquor stores. That was, you know, back in the 70s, and now he's a multi-billionaire from that sport. So it's known worldwide, and it's a, a big, big deal, especially in the U.S., in the South and the Southeast, where it originated. But for about 15 years of my life, I was involved in producing that television show. And the thing about, you say, well, fishing show? I mean, why would somebody want to watch a fishing show? <laughs> you think, shouldn't we just paint the room here and watch it? Watch the paint dry? Wouldn't that be about the same uh, excitement? Well, yeah, for some, certainly. But for those of you who love to fish, men and women alike, a fishing show is your connection to learning how to fish. Because through this, through these tournament trails, now there's quite a few more than one, it has become a professional sport. And these professional anglers who have incredibly high profiles now today, I mean, that was what we covered was who won the tournament and how they want it. And if you're a fisherman or woman, that's gold. We kind of downplayed the event itself and we got under the skin. We wanted to know how did they do it? Where did they go? How did they put the pattern together? You see, the way these things are structured is you go to a lake, let's say in somewhere in the southeastern United States, that's 75,000 acres big, big lake, right? And you put a hundred or 200 anglers on that lake, somebody after three or four days is going to come back and win that tournament. They keep the fish alive and they're all released back into the lake, but somebody will bring in, back in those days, it was 32, let's say 50 or 60 pounds was an average tournament to win the event. And you think about, you talk about the ultimate adult game of hide and seek. <laughs> I mean, where in 75,000, I mean, that's miles and miles and miles of area. Where is somebody going to find a pattern or enough fish? We used to call them a wad of bass. Where, where are they going to find a wad of bass to win the tournament? <laughs> and that's, that was the objective of the TV show was to pick that apart. Well, one of the guys who was absolutely at the top of the game, the guy who was at the top of the game back then, now it's shared space a little bit more. But back then, there was one guy standing above the pack, and his name was Rick Clun. Rick was from Texas originally. He was a guy down in Lake Conroe and just 
found bass fishing and goodness sakes it, it i mean he took off with it it was a hand and glove fit not only did he understand it but he grew into it through his studies and back then even then rick was studying metaphysical quote new age information now that in itself was a bit of an anomaly because most of the people involved in that sport were, you know, grassroots, south and southeastern U.S., predominantly Christian-believing folks. There were Bible studies during the tournaments, and there was just a big, prominent Christian presence. And then there was Rick Clun. Now, he didn't show his hand too much, smart guy. You never, you know, when you get back to the boat ramp and you've been fishing and somebody says, hey, what'd you catch him on? You don't ever tell them. Or where, for goodness sakes, and especially not a lying bunch of Christian folks like that. (laughs) Now, of course, you're just protecting your, I mean, that's somebody's livelihood, right? Is you're not going to tell everybody what you're doing. Now, it would come out in the end, but during the event, that was private information because, I mean, there was a tournament championship on the line with that information and, you, you know, you didn't want it broadcast out. But Rick would periodically talk about visualization or meditating before tournaments. And he would talk about being present in the moment. And he would talk about kind of the Zen aspect of fishing. Back then, there was a little book circulating called the, it was Zen and the Art of Archery. Do you remember that? Ever read it? It was about using archery as a catalyst to learn mindfulness. Well, Rick was an early adopter and an early student of mindfulness applied to his craft, now his profession of professional fishing. And I couldn't imagine a better fit. Although at the time when I was covering these tournaments, I was still in the, you know, the paradigm that I grew up with. Mom and dad were still alive. Our family faith was our family faith and it wasn't questioned. So I missed the opportunity during those years to ask Rick about that side of his life. Boy, you know, today I would pick that apart like a, (laughs) you know, want to know everything that he was doing because I'm going to share with you some excerpts from an article that he was quoted in that are absolutely phenomenal and just shows you the scale, the depth of this guy's commitment, just his sheer determination to live the best life possible. In fact, at the very end, if it doesn't leave you with a little tear in your eye, (laughs) it did Majan and me. I read this to her after I discovered this information and just reading it, we both had a little tear in our eye. It is beautiful. And that's how this got started is the other night at dinner, His name came very strongly to my mind, and I knew that that just meant to go looking, you know, just go looking. And so I did a little digging, and there were articles that, of course, hadn't been written way back then that now people are starting to delve into and ask him how he does it and what he does. So there are some links in the show notes on the website if you'd like to dig more into that. But I wanted to read you this. These are just some excerpts from this outdoor interviewer talking to Rick Clun. So as part of the setup, he says, during his 28-year career, the eclectic angler has studied philosophies such as Zen, Tao Te Ching, and Hapkido. That's a martial art form, to name a few. He has delved into meditation, 
visualization, transcendentalism, and quantum physics. He's lived with Indians, attended advanced classes in wilderness survival, and retained a fascination with triathletes, all in an effort to explore the limitlessness of human potential in his bass fishing laboratory. So, first question. At one point in your career, you alluded to an ability to control the outcome of tournaments. Do you still believe this is possible? Rick Klun's answer. I'm headed back in that direction. In the first 10 years of my career, I studied a lot of meditation and visualization, the creative process within our human potential. From that, I learned that we do have a tremendous amount of control over our reality. But complete control? I don't know if I'd go that far. Through my spiritual and mental studies, I had developed my own approach to this process of trying to affect the outcome of my performance. What I found was amazing. I was amazed at how effective I could be at affecting performance with these practices. When I won the 1985 All-American by affecting the outcome of my performance with these techniques, I had an epiphany. Something in me snapped. Something in me said, So you know about the human potential of controlling reality. But is this gift really meant to win honors and awards in fishing tournaments? Shouldn't such a powerful tool be used for a higher purpose than for selfish reasons? And I clearly understood that there is a great deal of responsibility that comes with this incredible process, which is difficult to explain. But with that realization, I quit using it. The only other time I used it to affect a tournament outcome was when I won the Classic, that's the Bassmasters Classic, in 1990. For a month before that tournament, I spent a lot of time envisioning the way things would unfold in that event. But something in me says I need to use it again, not to win tournaments, but to get my fishing back on track and at the same time serve a higher purpose. That's why I'm teaching a fishing school this fall. It will force me to go back and relearn those techniques in order to teach them. But I know that in returning to this approach, I'm going to have to decide how to use it to serve a higher purpose. I believe that by being in the role of a teacher, that purpose will present itself. All right, now I want to pick this apart because there are some real gems and a couple of stories in here to make you aware of as well. So the first thing is just the structure of this tournament organization itself. So there were, I think, about eight or ten events back in the day that led up to the Super Bowl or the Bassmasters Classic, as he mentioned. And it was the major tournament of the year. And to win that established one's career as a professional bass fisherman. In fact, Rick Clun said that he knew early, early on in his game, and this was before this thing ever got big, that to really excel in this sport, you had to win the Bassmasters Classic. So he set out to figure out how to do that. Well, he won it in 1976 and 77 and 84. And as he mentioned, in 1990. Now, I started working on the show in about 1986, 87. It was a couple of years after he had won the 84 Classic. 
So when I came on the scene and learned who he was or knew better who he was, he was already a three-time winner. Nobody had won it twice at that point, much less three times. And then I was there in Richmond, Virginia, when he won in 1990. So as a cameraman on that show, over the years, I spent hours, hours watching Rick Clun fish. Now, granted, a lot of that was through a black and white viewfinder on camera technology of that day. And then back in the edit bay as we put the shows together. But I got a real sense of his ability to focus how he was present in the moment, definitely, how he would follow intuitive prompts, because we would talk about that, just didn't frame it up in that context. Like I said, the side that I missed was that side of that he was affecting reality with his mind. So when he says that he developed his own approach and could affect the outcome of his performance, I mean, what he's basically talking about is his own version of everything that Fred Dodson has talked about. A lot of what we've talked about here. One of the things that he did differently, though, to become such a champion is he took it to the extreme limit of study and application. And this is really cool. So if you're chasing a bass around the country, who best would you study chasing aquatic animals for survival? I mean, it really was as much a survival situation as the Native American Indians. So he wanted to learn everything that they knew about tracking animal movements, seasonal changes, right down to local weather changes. I mean, he figured not only did they have the spiritual component, but they also had the technical component. In other words, they survived in the woods and thrived the way he wanted to survive in the Bassmaster Tournament Trail and become the world champion fisherman that he did. So he would, instead of staying in a motel, he would camp out at the lake during the tournaments. Why? Connection. Vibratory connection. He was tuning his instincts into that environment. Another example, back in those days, the Bassmasters Classic was always held in the summer. He would go out in the environment and, like, drive with his windows down, spend an extra amount of time outdoors, just conditioning himself to the heat and humidity. And, of course, a plethora of study and and a number of other things that he did to position himself as being the best. But I found it very interesting when I read that he was using these techniques to affect the outcome of the tournament. This is this goes beyond just conditioning yourself to be the best. Now you are using visualization, intention, all the tools that we've talked about so much and literally bending metal, affecting outcomes. I mean, when Fred Dodson calls his work reality creation, that's exactly what we're talking about here. And I find it very interesting that Rick Clun's epiphany came from using it for higher purposes. That is true spiritual growth. That's when you know that you are truly living outside of the ego because the ego would say, oh, wonderful, I've got this thing that I can use to my advantage. And I find it incredibly admirable that after using that technique for those years, when he won those classics, 1976, 1977, 1984, And then after that epiphany said that he stopped. Wow, 
Would you put your career on the line? I mean, he had already established himself at the top of the game, but I mean, why not keep on winning? He says that he put it aside. And notice, not for another six years until 1990, did he use it again and won that Bassmasters Classic. And then when he talked about teaching in order to learn, that was interesting too, because I'd heard him say in other quotes that he learned the most when he was putting information out. So obviously that's just a basic law of the universe, right? You get back what you give out. So as he was teaching others how to fish, he was learning more than he was giving away. Again, not for selfish purpose. Just realize when he stopped, when that outflow stopped, the winning stopped. Do you not think that this stuff that we've been talking about all this time, 175 podcasts, is not incredibly powerful stuff? And I also was impressed when he said that he studied and then he adapted his own technique. He wasn't imitating. He wasn't copying. He made it his own and then applied it to his world, applied it to his reality. Okay, there was one other question I wanted to read. So this interviewer said, you have been an intense pursuit of perfection for 30 years. This was some time ago, so now it would be more like 40 years. Your relentless drive has never wavered. From where does your insatiable appetite for perfection come? Clint answers, several factors contribute to that. The first was probably my father. In high school, my father pushed me to excel in sports in a way that I could feel his desire for me to excel. He wanted me to be the best, and I was really never any good at the traditional sports. I didn't have the physical attributes to perform at a high level. But when I discovered fishing, I found something that was limitless. Fishing provided an opportunity to excel and show him that I could be the best at something. And his dad shared the stages with him at several of those Bassmasters classics. Another aspect is fear. I am afraid of not pushing myself to the absolute of my abilities. If I let up just a little bit this time, the next time I'll let up a little more and eventually become lazy. And finally... I believe that one of the greatest tragedies in life is unfulfilled potential. The greatest gift we can return to creation for all the gifts that the Creator gives us is to live up to our fullest human potential. I will continue to do that until the day I die. Now let me tell you the rest of the story. Just a month before this recording, Rick Klun won another major bass tournament at the ripe young age of 72, and he beat the rest of the field in a four-day competition, bringing in 98 pounds of bass, including 35 pounds on the last day to come from behind. And in that 35-pound bag of bass were two that weighed over 9 pounds, and one of those was two ounces shy of 10 pounds. That was one month ago. So this guy still practices what he preaches and is still in pursuit of that perfection. So the cool part of that is it doesn't matter what age you are, what water has gone under your bridge, what mistakes you think cannot be rectified, 
if you will start wherever you are right now with that level of commitment that he just described and do it until the day you die, then you can hold your head high knowing that you have been the champion of your life and done your best to excel to your highest potential. Wow, what an inspiration. So that was my little pot of gold for fulfilling an intuitive prompt to look a guy up who I hadn't crossed paths with in over 25 years, and yet whose light is shining as bright as ever. And now we all get to share in that inspiration. That's why this work continues. And I do hope that you will enjoy your journey. I'm Thomas Miller. Thanks for listening. The opinions on this podcast are those of the host based on personal experience only and are not intended as medical or psychological advice. If you are experiencing symptoms that require professional treatment, please contact a licensed medical practitioner. The stories and opinions expressed on this podcast are independently those of the host and guests and are not intended to be taken as medical advice or to replace medical care from a licensed professional when appropriate.